Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. This is episode number 10 of Welcome. My name is Kareem Kanji. Thanks for joining me today. My guest is an active mentor, advisor, and angel investor in early stage tech companies. Many would also call him a rocket scientist. Please welcome to the show, Farid Qasim. Thanks for coming in, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is great. My first ever podcast. Your you know first, first of many, I'm sure. Well, I hope so. Let's see how this one goes. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I know healthcare, big data, or is it big data? We could say data. We'll say data. data. Big data. Yeah. I know that's a big part mm-hmm. of sort of your, your day-to-day professional life. Right. But let's talk about something that probably be more important yes. uh, than any of that. Yes. The Toronto Blue Jays. Absolutely. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So they're second in the in the East. Right. Uh, they do have a playoff spot. Right. They're, they're they're three ahead of the the next team, right? Um, and they've got a chance to supplant the Yankees for first. Right. They, they weren't first. They they lost that series. You know they've they've won two of their past five games, uh, but then an optimist would say they've won thirteen of their past fifteen games, right? Or thirteen of their past sixteen games. What what do you what do you see for the Jays? So listen, before before we talk about what's going on with the Jays right now, it's August twenty first today. You know that, him? Do you know August twenty first? August twenty first today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Seven years ago. Yeah. On August twenty first. Yes. We traded for Jose Bautista. Really? Did you know that? I didn't. Okay. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah, seven years. Now, do you do, how, who did we trade? Well, for? that's a good one. Uh, a prospect named Robinson Diaz. I have no idea who he okay. was. <laughs> well, the the deal was so uh, notable yeah. that it wasn't ever mentioned in any news piece that day. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think it made it into some a few blog posts that day. Sure. It was just a. I think it was just a footnote. Was there an internet seven years ago? Well, uh, I think so. There I think was. I want, there was a newspaper, <laughs> right? So I mean, come on, give me a break. I mean. <laughs> And this this guy Jose is Bautista. Can you believe that? Right? Since 2010, he's hit more home runs than anyone else. Absolutely. In Major League Baseball. Right? And so all he needed was a change of scenery. Yeah. Right? And uh we can't thank um AA for last this one. Right? No. It was Richardi. Bless his heart. Well, he was at the top. I mean, <laughs> we're, 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 you know, the uh, AA fans, Alex Anthopoulos fans are, are probably believing in their hearts that he was the one that told right. Richardi about this uh, this prospect. Right. Well, listen, I mean, so, you know, fast forward seven years, I, I think he's uh, the heart and soul of the team. Yeah. I mean, look what we did to the Yankees in the in at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that, I, I, I don't think... Ever in Major League Baseball, there has been four days of excitement yeah. prior to the trade deadline as there was here in Toronto. It was it was it, it was the most incredible four days mm-hmm. that anyone can feel in in baseball, where AA yeah. 
basically uh, did did no did something that nobody has ever been able to do uh, with the kind of players that he brought in the same week. Yeah, Troy Tulowitzki mm-hmm. and David Price. David Price. And then obviously he put all the other pieces in place. But I mean, it was the most incredible four days for me, as far as I. It was fantastic, right? And and really, if you take a look at what he's done, like if you just take a look at this year, right? In the off season, right? Not that we needed another catcher, but he improves at the at that position, right? Not that we needed another third baseman, right? But I, I think he did the the steal of the of the of the century. Do you remember uh, when it was announced? Where were you sitting? You know I, that I don't know. You were sitting at a Tim Hortons with me. Do you really? Yes. It was a Saturday morning, and we talked about that trade that day. I don't remember that. Yes, you remember that. I wow. Remember that. You and I were sitting. And what, what did we say? We said, who is this guy? We did, didn't we? <laughs> and then we did research. Oh, he's actually a pretty good player. Pretty good player. He's, I think he's got, he was one of the best players the, the season before. Yeah. So, you know, you're right. I mean, Alex Anthopoulos, uh, you know, doing that trade was, I, I think, well, listen, if, if uh, Mike Trout wasn't around, I think Josh Donaldson is MVP, MVP hands of down. The year. Yeah. Hands down. As long right? as Mike Trout's alive, I think he's the MVP. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So yeah, I mean, look, you know, I mean, but you know, AA has done some deals that have failed miserably too, right? So I mean, Josh Beckett. I mean, you could you could talk Arnold, about that. Josh whole, Johnson. Josh jo- Johnson. Johnson. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Josh Beckett was a um, a Red Sox player. Yeah. Right? So yeah, um, you know, but then Johnson's not doing so well. No. Anyways. Um, uh, I mean, bringing some players from. I mean, the Marlins. The Marlins deal was good. Uh, we can anytime we talk about R. A. Dickey, we can't help but talk about Noah Syndergaard. Right? He's going to be someone special. He was always going to be someone special, right? I mean, we just did not know, and nobody knew this, and nobody knows about any prospects. Sure. Yeah, how quickly they'll develop. That's right. Right, and so uh, man, that guy. He just had to get his head in gear. I mean, there were some problems. They sent him down, and it was really more attitude than anything else. Mm-hmm. And look what he's doing with the Mets. I mean, yeah. the Mets have got one of the best rotations right now. Yeah. They're you know, so, and, uh, but you can, you know, but then, you know, Aradiki has redeemed himself. I mean, he's in the top five uh, after the All-Star break. Yeah. Uh, when or even Ro- since June, he's yeah. been. Lowest ERA. I mean, out. he's in the top three, right? So. Yeah. So listen, I mean, being a Blue Jay fan, it's great to be a Blue Jay fan. I mean, I can't find tickets right now, right, to the home games. Even the even uh, even you know, it's hard to to find uh, the Baltimore Orioles game. I mean, yeah. the Yankees games, you can forget it. Sold out, right? So, so it's a great time to be a baseball fan. Um, at, in at Toronto, the, in Toronto, at in the uh, at the top of the show, he told me. That there are three games ahead of the next wild card contender who they're playing tonight. Yeah. The LA Angels. So, look, you know, I think we had two 11 game winning streaks. Yeah. And, uh, but stats say that right after the streak ends, they usually play 500 baseball. You talk about big data and data and all that. Yeah. I'm all about data, right? So well, if you take a look at it, yeah. if you play 500 right. baseball throughout the year, you're 81 wins. Correct. To make it to the playoffs, you need at least 90. 90 wins. So really, you need one ten game winning. So you play five hundred. I so I told people this at work right. at the beginning of the season. 
All the Jays need to do right. is play 500 ball right. and have one 10-game ten, ten winning streak. That's all they, that's all they need to do. Right. They've played 500 ball right. or played just below 500 ball. They're 25 in the last seven. Yeah, and have two 11-game winning streaks. Right. Um, they need to get back to 500 outside of those two 11-game winning streaks. Right. And they'll make the playoffs. Now, I'm hoping that they make it to first so they, they don't get into that wild card one game moves on because mm-hmm. that's a that's a crapshoot. That's like you know what? It's not necessarily the best team that's going to win. It's the team that can play the best for these particular nine innings. Sure, and but that's no, look what happened last year. I mean, both the teams went to the World Series were wildcard teams. Yeah, so you right? never know. You never know, right? So, but you're right. I mean, my philosophy, if any, and if anybody cares, yeah, uh, you know, try to win win every uh, series. Yeah, or at least um, don't try to lose the series. Yeah, right. Well, I don't think anyone tries to lose. No, to lose the series, I mean, you're playing three against the Yankees, go two and one. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Try to win every series you're playing. Yeah. Um, and um, and you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. That's easier said than done. That's true. Um, I, I mean, I like the idea of 500 baseball and a 10-game winning streak. Yeah. I don't know if they have another 10-game winning streak in them. I, I don't know if they do. But they do have to play more than 500 ball. Yeah. To make it to 90. Yeah. Right, so you know, um, well, we'll see. Before the before the Yankees series, um, they were saying that you had to play, you had to go what twenty eight and twenty six. Yeah, no one, no one believed yeah. that as soon as the David Price trade was made, yeah. that the Jays would shave off what was it seven games, oh, eight games, that they would shave off eight games in two weeks, yeah. which is what they did, right. Um, and and they did that, and now you're th- two games, one and a half. Because one and a half the Yankees now? lost yesterday. Okay, so you're one and a half right behind the Yankees, right? And I think we've played the same amount of games because the Yankees have played twice since the Jays have been off. There might be one. More, they've, they've played one less. They've played one less. Yeah. So we are in a better position that we thought we would have been in mm-hmm. as soon as that trade because it was still guys. That's a lot of ground to make up. Well, it was interesting because, you know, the the Jays and their philosophy has always been, uh, and Paul Beeston is, is a huge pro- proponent of this, that we never get rental players, right? You always want uh, players under control. Yeah. So the David Price deal... I need you to get closer to the mic. Yeah, there the David go. Price deal yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, was that, and it was really against all the philosophies... Uh, that that the Blue Jays brass has been, uh, you know, evangelizing, mm-hmm. and so, and they were below five hundred at that time. They were fifty and fifty one at the time of the trade, and they still believed that they were a buying team. Right. Um, you know, the thing is that I think they were, and I think they were much better than their record showed. Right. So, their record was fifty and fifty one, but they were playing good ball. Right and you know and everybody was healthy. It wasn't like oh we wish that you know this player would get back and so on and so forth. So everything was starting to click at that run around that time. Yeah. So I think uh, and oh the fact that Beeston's on his way out. I'm not sure if that had a lot to do with it. But they went and pulled the tr- uh, you know pulled that trade off. I mean bringing David Price has been has been an absolute coup. And when was the last time we've had a, a real number one? A real ace on the staff. Holiday. Yeah. Holiday. Yeah, that, that's probably the last time. Yeah. And having you know two ex Cy Young uh, 
uh, award winners on the same team. When True. was the last time? Well, you asked me that on Twitter. I did. And it was Clemens and, oh my goodness, Clemens, Clemens. And Henkin. And Pat Henkin. Right? That's right. So, yeah, so I think, I think if not anything else, um, you know, I think AA deserves to, to be um, part of this team for a longer time. I mean, there's a lot of talk about bringing somebody else above him. I don't know if that's a great idea. But I think he deserves a shot. I mean, he's, he's done baseball moves, really. These were true baseball moves. Yeah. And uh, whatever happens, I think this team is built for the future. Um, whatever happens with David Price, I think the rest of the team, uh, we've got a good core. Uh, but you know, I worry about you know Bautista and Encarnacion yeah. getting older. So this is probably the time to make the move. Mm-hmm. So let's see what happens. It's going to be exciting. Um, it's it's exciting times. I just can't believe that we lost a game against a Triple A team like the Philadelphia Phillies. Mm-hmm. You know that's uh, and seven four. I mean it's. It's terrible. It was. It um, was. It was a bad first inning. Two errors. Mark three Burley, errors. poor guy. I yeah. feel bad for him. And he's him. pitched amazing as well. I mean, he he's he's a workhorse. He is. He eats up innings uh, like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Dickie's done the same. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, you know. Do you think Dickie's? I think Dickie is one more year, right? He's got an option year. Option year. So we we have a choice to pick him up or not. Yeah. Right? Burley's the one that's a free agent. Burley's a free agent. Whether he comes back for one or two years to anywhere. Yeah. So who else do we have? So we have uh, Stroman coming along the way. Aaron Sanchez. I mean, he's in the bullpen. Yeah. But he's really meant to be a A starter. Starting pitcher. Osuna meant to be a starter. I think so. Yeah. And the rest we've given away. But that's okay. You know, um, Norris. Norris hit his f- first home run the other day. He did. <laughs> first that bad first home run, but now he's injured. Not yes. So, you know, so I guess he, he had all the ups and downs. Uh, yeah. Good for the Tigers. I, 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 I like that trade. But again, you got to make, you, you have to give up something, right? Absolutely. You know. And good on uh, the Blue Jays and their scouts to, to build such a, uh, a wealth of prospects that other teams wanted. And to get uh, the kind of quality in return. Yeah. Um, I didn't know who Jeff Hoffman was until the Tulowitzki trade. So uh-huh. um, so I think good on the scouts. Uh, it's great. Um, I am just happy that we're watching baseball right now. Absolutely. In, in August. It's right? fun. It's, uh, my kids are into it. Uh, my wife's into it. We're, the whole family is just... Uh, nice. All, all Jays right now. Perfect. Usually it's... You know, I have to say that um, I haven't watched a full... Um, game since 1994 until the David Price game against Kansas City. Wow. From start to finish. Yeah. I, w- I, w- I was at that game. You were. I was at that game. Tell me more about that. It was it was electric. So before that game, um, my the game previous that I had gone to was Tulowitzki's first game. Okay. So I went to that game. He hit a home run. Hit a home run in a second a d- at bat. It yeah. was funny. Did he did he strike out or did he fly out in his first at bat? I can't remember what it was, but he got out in the first at bat. But the just the crowd was electric when he came out. They were very excited for Troy Tulowitzki, and you had heard his name, but you also knew that here's a a very very good shortstop that seemed to be injured all the time. You know, almost a Jose Reyes type player, but better 
in the field, you know, wasn't hadn't slowed slowed down yet. Um, but you know, he's 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 played amazing. But that that game was great. But the price game was different. The price game was the price game was an afternoon game. It was Tulowitzki was an evening game. Um, I got on the York Mills subway at I want to say ten o'clock in the morning, and it was packed with Jays fans. No kidding. And I go, why are people going so early? I got to the stadium, and again, it was a sellout, but people, the lineups to get in at eleven o'clock for a one o'clock game, incredible was. It was uh, it was astounding how long these lineups were. Uh, a friend of mine was sitting in the 500 levels. Uh, she takes her kids to spring train for the past two three years. Uh, her her kids nine or ten years old are, are both you know they both play baseball. Um, she was in line at ten o'clock and she said people were in line before her. Wow. Um, he came out of the bullpen. Sorry, came out of the bullpen to go um, and warm up. Um, and the crowd erupted for him. Wow. He came out uh, and, you know, just started jogging her back and forth in the outfield. Wherever he went, the crowd roared. Mm-hmm. Um, the crowd loves this guy. And it's so easy, you know, to, to love a guy. And I think especially in this in this age of being connected with not just your friends, but with with celebrities and athletes on, on things such as Twitter. Absolutely. Um, and, and Snapchat. Um you know, you, 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 you take a look at what he posts mm-hmm. and you, you see pictures of him and he's got like the biggest smile. Yeah. Um, I think he rivals Jose Reyes in terms of the, the, the electricity that comes out of his smile. Um, you can't help but like this guy. And he's said all the right things. Right. You know, the last time we acquired like a, a this type of a picture um, outside of Roy Halladay was was Roger Clemens. Mm-hmm. With Roger Clemens, you you knew he was the best pitcher in baseball, right. but he didn't have that electricity about him right. that attracted you to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Price has that, right. you know, and uh, um, I think you know wherever he ends up next year, the fans are going to love him. Do you think we should open up the bank for him? Yeah, you think so? But that's just me. It's not my money. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're but right. that that's a wise investment, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you go from an average of twenty two, twenty four thousand. To um, selling out just because price is your pitcher, yeah. But you know, that's I, I. You know, I don't know how many tickets you need to sell. Yeah, but that's that's ROI. You know, I don't know how many more. You know how you know how you know I, I I've, I've been hearing commercials recently on the fan that carry the Blue Jays, and they're they're cross promoting. You know, advertised on the station that has the Jays, and you know the Rogers owns the stations, mm. both radio and TV. Mm. Uh, they've got you know the specialty channels. They've got the specialty magazine. Um, all of this bundling of of services that they have, um, you can make back. I don't know how much he's going to be worth twenty twenty five million a year. True. So from a pure revenue perspective, yeah. makes sense. From a baseball perspective, it also makes sense. But you know, we talk about these. I mean, he's going to command what? Twenty twenty five. I don't. I, something year? like that. In a in a long term deal, at least seven or eight years. Are we going to be talking about uh, you know that deal five years from now? Uh, just like we talked about the Reyes deal. Reyes deal. Yeah. Um, Alex Anthopoulos got out of. 
He did. The Vernon Wells deal. He got out. Alex Antapos got out of it. But, you know, I mean, still. So, yeah, f- as baseball fans, I'd love for them to th- them to do this deal. Yeah, right? and that's three years right. down the road where you right. think, oh, my goodness, should we have signed that deal? Right. And, and you only ask that if you haven't made the playoffs, if you haven't won the World Series. Sure, sure. You know, and yeah. hindsight is always always 2020. 2020. You're right. You know, nobody poo-pooed the deal for Dickey. Nobody poo-pooed uh, the, the Marlins deal. No, no, Everyone said, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know? Anyways. So, so uh, yeah. So you were at the game. It was electric. He it was, was awesome. It was he, an awesome game. You know, I was watching. That was my first ever full Blue Jays game from yeah. start to finish. And the crowd, ninety four. Yeah, the crowd was just electric. Yeah. When he when he uh, finished pitching in the, I think it was the eighth or seventh or eighth inning. Yeah. Uh, when he when he came out. Yeah. Um, so I I almost feel like a reborn fan because yeah. you know I mean. One can say I'm I'm back on the bandwagon, but I never was off of it. I was yeah. just hanging on yeah. on the side there yeah. with one of my f- foot kind of sliding on the road, right? Sure. Because you know I was I remember the day when George Bell caught that. Um, 1985. 1985. Caught it, fell down to his knees. <laughs> to his knees. You know I still remember that. <laughs> Everyone knows how old we are. Small now. color TV. Yeah. Uh, do you remember who hit that ball? I don't remember who. Ron Hassey. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> you got a great memory. Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know that was that was the year that really, you know, I just arrived in the country three years before that, so I had no idea about baseball. Yeah, and uh, a, fr- a dear friend of mine, he introduced me to the game, and we we went to the X. We watched some some games in chilly weather. Yeah, uh, I remember being frozen to bits watching uh, them play Texas at the X. But '85. You know, it was a magical year. Yeah, we were in first place for 137 days of the year. Uh, it was it was the most amazing outfield you can ever talk you know talk yeah. about. I mean, amazingly enough, they were honored um, a few days ago yeah. last weekend. Yeah. You know? but God, when you look at them, <laughs> you feel bad. They didn't look game ready at all. No, <laughs> no. But you know, and then you know that's where it all started. 85. Yeah, and then. I had the heartbreak in '87, you mm-hmm. know, losing six games in the at standings the season, in yeah. the last two weeks, and going to that one-game playoff against Detroit, and Manny Lee flubbing that ball between his. Uh, you were at the game? No, this is uh. all on TV. <laughs> you know, the the ball going through his legs, and that one nothing game. I still remember Frank Tanana was the pitcher pitcher for Detroit, and he basically shut us out. So, that, you know, so I've been through it all. So. And then, obviously, I, you know, and then 91, where, um, you know, Oakland, right? Oakland, mm. where, um, you know, Ricky Henderson, you know, single-handedly, you know, basically uh, took us out in, yeah. that, in that playoff then. Uh, so, so yeah, and then the 92, 93, full-on bandwagon, man. Full-on. Yeah, completely. 92 was know. awesome. You didn't think they'd win in 93. Yeah, too much change over her. Right. And they come back. And, you know, I was in Montreal where, of game six against Philadelphia alone in my living room um, watching this baseball game alone. Yeah. Alone. Game six. And uh, he hits that home run. I was running around the apartment for an hour. Oh, my goodness. Like, celebrating. Okay? Yeah. Because, uh, you know, I didn't make it to the game. And, you know, so I think we went through the, the utmost time in 94. We had a great team. But then the strike came. Yeah. And then it. And that and was then, Montreal's time. Yeah. That was Montreal's time, too, right? So, yeah. 
So yeah, I mean, Blue Jays, uh, I love them. I've always been a fan. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the next uh, few weeks. I think it's going to be good. Yeah. So listen, let's let's get away from baseball okay. and, yeah. and uh, talk about uh, um, as interesting stuff about you know what it is that you're doing and what you've done. Um, and and you're, you're you're busy. You invest in businesses. You're working with big data. Uh, you're doing some stuff in healthcare. Yeah. Um, you know, you're even working with with startups, hands on, not just investing in them. Yeah. Um, you know, how? Where did this all start? Was this something at school that you had th- always thought about? Thought about? Was this something you got from your parents? Where did you know specifically around startups and businesses? Where did that come from? Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, I'm not 100 percent sure. It, it, it was such a sort of a gradual thing that just kind of happened. But if I were to think back, I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, so he had his own business. But he never really wanted me to be an entrepreneur. Why? Why was that? Because I think he he thought education was important. But then, if you really think like about it, like to become it, like a professional, like a lawyer, correct. doctor, that sort of thing. In a okay. short list of uh, careers that you know yeah. he thought. And at that time, you know, my parents uh, didn't really make it through high school. I mean, the mm-hmm. day, the, those days were different. They were all, um, you know, so they were all in business. What did your dad do? Uh, we, uh, back in Africa, he had a store for car parts and, uh, you know, so car spares. Okay. And uh, so we we were dealing with that. So, and he, he was, he'd been doing that for, for a long time. And so it was, you know, it was a businessman. And I'm not too sure if businessman, entrepreneur, but he, he, he you know, he was his own boss. Mm-hmm. But I think, in, I think when you, when you think about it, you, you know, I think he did the right thing by saying, look, you know, you're not going to follow in my footsteps this way, but I may have had some DNA yeah. or a little bit of, uh, you know, inkling through, through the ex- experience that I'd seen him go through and do it slightly differently. And so, you know, I went to school. And Where did you study? Uh, U of T. Okay. And engineering. Uh, engineering, yeah. Engineering. And, uh, and then I did my computer science. Uh, I did some master's courses in computer sciences uh, later on in my life. So, uh, you know, in technology. Um, and, you know, started my um, career really in, in aerospace. You were a software engineer. A software engineer in the aerospace field. Okay. So what what were you... No, was that sort of your first gig out of out of school? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. where were you working? So you know, I worked for a consulting company called Prior Data Sciences. It was um, has been bought by Bell a long time ago. Okay, but really, it was a consulting shop specifically that provided engineering uh, talent to um, you know companies and really outsourcing outsourcing. Okay, but of uh, engineers in. Um, in high tech, specifically in uh, real-time systems. So real-time systems, at that time, you know, aerospace, mm-hmm. defense, military, um, you know, those kind of, or, or energy uh, companies. Okay. Those required real-time uh, software engineers. So my first gig was at a company called Allied Signal Aerospace. Okay. And, uh, you know, they're now um, Honeywell. But really, okay. I w- and I was um, <clears throat> I was on this uh, team that was designing um, control systems for for commercial aircraft called the Boeing uh, 747. And really, the the system had to do with controlling the cabin pressure 
uh, of the aircraft. That's uh, important. It's important, yeah. Uh, <laughs> critical syst- mission critical system, as they call it. Um, and uh, the air conditioning in the aircraft and the oxygen deployment. And really, we, when I say we, Allied Signal Aerospace, was building the hardware yeah. uh, for, the, for the aircraft. And we were building the software on the hardware that controlled uh, the aforementioned uh, things in the aircraft. So we programmed the sensors that sensed the pressure, and then we controlled the valves mm-hmm. that moved air in and out to, to regulate. So where does the air come from? Is it all recycled it, air? Interestingly enough, there's something called a ram air door. Uh, that is an actual door, a small little door in the aircraft that lets in fresh air so, okay. from the outside. Okay. Okay. And then the, it gets pressurized immediately to mm-hmm. warm it up. Because, you know, air at that uh, altitude it's very cold. is very, very cold. So the air enters through the ram air door. It gets pressurized. It gets warmed up. And then it's put in through the ducts into the aircraft. And okay. the valves that control these ducts are open and closed depending on the sensors uh-huh. that sense the, the air pressure in the different cabins. And is air ever removed? Air uh, is removed as well. Okay. Yeah. But uh, it's through the same kind of means that we... Interesting. Uh, yeah. So, you know, from a layperson's uh, view, yeah, we're taking air from the outside, conditioning it, you know, moving it around and, uh, you know, recycling it a little, right? So, and all we did was write what we call uh, a first order or second order differential equation, which is, uh, in layman's terms... A you make it sound so simple. <laughs> That does just a feedback control system that just says, you know, take the output from one, put yeah. it back, you know, sense it again, and keep doing it. And that's all we did. We wrote these con- mission control systems for, for different aircrafts at that time. Mm-hmm. So I had the fortune of being on a very, very smart team. I learned from a lot of smart people. Yeah. I had great mentors there. I started off as a tester. Now... It may sound a little funny, but we were more important than the actual designers because we had to look for the flaws in the code. Yeah. Because you don't want to have bad code riding up in the air on an aircraft while you're flying, no. right? So so um, I just thought, man, this guy's out of school. They're going to ask me to test this code. Uh, fortunately, the processes there were so stringent that, you know, we still had to go through a lot of checks and balances. But yeah. had great experience, so, you know worked on uh, on these aircraft systems for for a number of years okay and then um, and then I got deployed to, to, to into Montreal um, mm-hmm. to another company to write it again as a consultant yeah uh, a company called Canadian Marconi very very old Canadian company yeah um, and they they were building a GPS for an aircraft and I was on the design team so okay. it's like a GPS on a car yeah. but more sensitive for aircrafts to, to be able to get somewhere and also be able to land and take off and be able to so use the same technology of satellites yeah. that GPS uses, but in a more sophisticated way for aircrafts. And I was on a team that uh, basically um, designed and wrote the software for the sensor unit. Uh, wow. And so I worked on that project. And um, so, yeah, and then... Um, and then, funnily enough, I got recruited uh, into uh, a very high-profile project at that time. It was very political. 
And you may or may not have heard about it because you might... The have Avro Arrow. Uh, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that old. Okay, sorry. You're not that old. But I do know a lot about the Avro. But uh, it was the helicopter project. Uh, the helicopter that, project. So the Canadians had to, um, you know, renew or replenish their helicopter. Um, this is during fleet. the Mulroney years. Exactly. Okay. It was, it was the ill-fated helicopter project that Mulroney and then Kim Campbell... Came mm. in and ratified. Yeah. And there was a big hoo-ha around it. And Chrétien was said that if he came to power, he was going to kill it. Yeah. So guess what? I he get on killed. this project. I'm on it for two months. And he got killed. Okay. Right? So, anyways. Uh, so, I kicked around. But, I, you know, I had that, uh, that whole bug of staying in, in high tech. But really... You know, to answer your earlier question, how did I get into becoming an entrepreneur? I realized that I like to build things, and I, I built some very cool things, yeah. and I saw some of these things to fruition. But these projects were very, very long okay. and, and had a lot of people on them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we, we had to have a lot of people make a lot of decisions for a long time. Was it very inefficient? Is that what you saw? Well, I... I I, th- I don't think it was inefficient. It had to have its own process. It's just that I was very impatient. Mm. And I needed to, to really see things from start to finish. The other talent that I thought I, I, I grew into was being able to uh, be sort of an interpreter between technical people and the business people. I had the ability to kind of be able to cross between that, uh, that uh, you know, that that road between those two teams and be effective. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was I was starting to move up in the chain, if you will. It got some, uh, you know, managerial positions and was able to really feel like now I was being able to, you know, not just be a coder, but I was okay. making some decisions and I kind of like that. Sure. You know? And then the internet was starting to become rampant around that time. In fact, it was already rampant. Yeah. I was just we were sort of in our own bubble in, you know, in what I was doing. I mean, I later on I was in a team that built a large simulator in Halifax, a classroom that basically trained uh, Navy personnel. Yeah. In this room mm-hmm. that simulated a, a Canadian frigate, and we built the software and uh, and the room. Like a large video game, wow! Uh, on land, so that they could train their ops uh, ops team, twenty two people. But I was getting tired of that, and so I realized that there was uh, this thing called internet out there, and people were building stuff. And uh, I joined a startup. And when I say startup, uh, it was a small company, and uh, they were doing things uh, right from scratch. And I, I thought, wow, this is great because you know. I could be part of something right from the ground yeah. floor. Before you continue, because I, I want to take a step back and correct me if I'm wrong um, or if I misheard, um, but did you ever work on the space shuttle or the... Oh, K- yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot to mention you, that. Yeah, you forgot about the space shuttle. Yeah. Well, it was not even the space shuttle. It was the space station program. Space... Oh, God. Space station program. So, so part of my assignment uh, during my time in Montreal... <laughs> Um, you know, I, I had a stint uh, at Spar Aerospace. Okay. And the project I worked on was uh, something called the Canadarm. Yes. The Canadarm uh, was Canada's uh, contribution to the space station program because it was 
sort of a, a, a collaboration between few countries, uh, yeah. you know, Canada, the U.S., the Russians, the British, um, and they had built a space station that was going to go up in space, and, uh, you know, they were going to do a lot of tests and all that, and the space shuttle was going to, you know, shuttle uh, astronauts back and forth, but the arm uh, was going to be an integral part of that whole strategy. So I had the honor of being on the team that built the software for the elbows of the arm. The Canada arm had seven elbows, and so we were uh, I was part of the team. And um, yeah, so I had a code that was in space for a while. Uh, That's amazing. Which was uh, which was kind of cool, and then. Um, you know, but I mean, now Canada Arm is in, in a different version, so I'd hate to say it, but uh, I don't think... Uh, now, did you use that to pick up girls? <laughs> it didn't work. I think <laughs> it, it probably would work now, uh, but now I'm happily married. Yes, and, yes. And, uh, so, <laughs> but that would have been a great pickup line because, you know, you know, being a nerd and being a, a tech nerd... Back then. Was, ...was not that cool. Yeah, but now it's the coolest thing. <laughs> That's really, really... Now, when you were working on that project, did yeah. you... Were you think you guys are going to put people in space? Like, they're going to live up there? Are you serious? Like, is this a, is this a waste of government money? Or, like, what, what were you thinking about the long-term societal impacts or otherwise? Well, you know, there were two things. One was, we better make this thing work because, you know... This is this is a very high profile thing. Mm-hmm. And the other part was, you know, you know, human beings are gonna go out there and use this equipment to, uh, you know, better our knowledge of our universe and 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 uh, and uh, planet planets and all the systems out there, and that we don't know. So it it was an immense, you know, not only was it a pressure on us, but but really we felt like we were part of something really really big. Yeah, but you know, at that time I was young. I really didn't know the impact of of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. But when you when you think back, you know the the Canada Arm. I mean, it it's being used for, you know, changing our parts on the shuttle, mm-hmm. uh, you working know, on the uh, Hubble telescope, working on the telescope. You know, precursor to walks and so on. You're on this manipulator arm out in space and doing experiments. So, listen. I think uh, you know when I look back, I now understand more than more than ever yeah. how important it was, and uh, I'd like to think that I was uh, you know I had a small part to play in this, this gigantic leap in uh, human innovation, if you will. Um, That's amazing. So that really I'm, is. I, I feel very fortunate. So thanks for reminding me uh, about that. <laughs> After a while, like I I, I, I I had a sense that you told me this. And I would always introduce you as a rocket scientist, or right. he built the Canadian. And then after a while, I go, "Is that tr- like did I just you know come up with that in my mind, or did he really do that?" So that's why when I asked you, I said, "Because you didn't talk about it." I go, "I better, I better make sure that I remember this." Correctly. Yeah, you know, sometimes I, um, you know, so I mean, we're on this podcast. I. I I just don't like talking about myself a lot. Sure. I mean, you know. So just for the next little while. <laughs> but, but, but what happens is, you know, I sometimes tend to think that I talk too much mm-hmm. and tend to belabor the points. I was trying to get through my resume really quickly. Okay. And so kind of missed that. Well, but let's get, get to the startup. So you, you sort of leave, um, let's call it the, 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 the space 
um, the aerospace uh, world. big tech yeah. um, world, and, and you join a startup. Tell yeah. me, tell me about this startup. So you know, I mean, it was interesting times. I had no idea that there's all this uh, stuff going on in 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 the startup space at that point. Specifically, the internet. Well, internet. There was a lot of deregulation going on in the telecom world. I mean, the monopolies were starting to crumble. The incumbents were starting to uh, let in, you know, competitive carriers. So you're starting to get, you know, new businesses open. You mm-hmm. know, you just didn't have the Ma Bells of this world sure. providing telecom to to us. So because of that, and, you know, it's akin to what's happening today, too, where things like Uber pop up and it starts to create this peripheral uh, businesses. And so when sure. deregulation of telecommunications happened, we had all these software vendors out there who were building systems for these competitive uh, carriers hmm. who didn't have their own systems. And so if you think about it, if you were uh, buying telecom products from, say, a Bell, yeah. they had their own system to order and to design and then to to program your switch and give you that service. But when you were buying it from a competitive carrier, they were starting from scratch. That's right. Either they were reselling these services from a Bell, but they were also building out their own networks. So I joined a company called Architel that was building what we call a back office infrastructure. So in, um, in technical terms or in business terms at that time, we were building what is called an operational support system. What an operational support system does for a telco, it allows them to automate the process of ordering, uh, designing, uh, provisioning, and then delivering the service. So you say, look, I want a home line and a, a voicemail. I want to order that. Yeah. At that time, you know, a lot of it uh, was done manually. And you're building this for others. So we were building a um, an OSS, really, that allowed these OSS meaning? Operational support system. Okay. For, uh, think of it as a, a back office infrastructure that allows them to take your orders mm-hmm. and take them to fruition. Okay. Uh, and, you know, at that time, in the, in the early 90s, uh, telecom products were very, very, very simple. You know, you had a phone line, you had voicemail, there's some data services. It's not as complicated as, as it is today. Mm-hmm. But we understood that, you know, telecom was getting very, very uh, sophisticated. You know, and the internet was coming. Yeah. And, and, you know, you had data lines and so on and so forth. So OSSs were very, very important. And in order to, you know, in the early 80s or even before then, if you were to order a service, it, it used to take 20 days, 30 days, oh my 40 goodness. days before you can get your service. All because a lot of it was manual. And a lot of it is because systems were disparate. You had a rep who would take your order and put it in one system and then take the same order and put it into another system for it to be designed somewhere and in a, and then take that and put it in a billing system. So they were sitting with seven different systems in front of their face wow. and doing that. And so what we were doing was, you know, selling these OSSs to large carriers and doing autom- automated, what you call, you know, service delivery. Amazing. And uh, so we were an independent software vendor. We had uh, large uh, telecom companies who were our customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, to cut a small story short, I mean, we went public. 
And then, then we were acquired by uh, by Nortel. Ah. Right. So Nortel was alive at that time. Another right? startup. <laughs> Nortel was a... Nortel was uh, sort of the the champion at that time, right? Yeah, they were was, the Canadian tech were the, darling. Yeah, you know, just like uh, BlackBerry was. How right? long so were you with them for? So I did not join Nortel when uh, okay. when the when the transaction happened. I, I moved on, and that, you know, I loved that first experience. So just to take uh, take back to your original question, yeah, I loved the idea of rolling up my sleeves and being part of something where I had a lot of input. And being able to see something grow from nothing and to be able to commercialize it yeah. and have people use it and then and then hand it over to to up to the mass, I wanted to do it again. So I left and I went to another startup. Okay. And joined another startup and uh, and I in, t- in telco again? In or? telco again and we did the same thing, but at that point we were now doing it over the web. So you didn't have to call in for your order. So think about it. You can buy products online now. Yeah. Amazon was around at that time. But we were th- thinking about selling data uh, telecom hmm. uh, uh, on the web. We were a bit ahead of our time. Yeah. But if you think about it, you know, today you can buy services from Rogers online. That's from right. Bell. Yeah. We were trying to do that in um, in the late 90s. Wow. Right? So... And so we were acquired by another company at that point, and um, and that uh, you know, so I had a, the great fortune of building out the engineering team, the R and D team. We built new products at that time. We took them to market. We were right. Um, we were kind of uh, right in the middle of the um, the tech bubble that was starting to okay. deflate. Yeah. And so a lot of our customers started to go go away, and so. It was a another uh, successful failure, if you if you will. Sure. I got to learn a lot, and we we did some great things, built great products, and uh, you what know. What was the name of this company? So the original company that I joined was in Logic, and then uh, we were bought out by a company called Deline. Um, okay. Technologies, and then uh, uh, the Canadian operations that I was running, uh, we had to close down. Deline went away, and uh, you know remorphed itself with other companies and uh, I believe our intellectual property is somewhere still. Just like uh, the one where Architel sold to Nortel, Nortel went down, but our intellectual property is sitting with Oracle that still uses it. Yeah. So there's still some value there. Well, yeah. But I think the biggest value was for all the people who went to these startups, learned a lot, you know, and uh, the networks we built, Yeah. the 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 money that we raised and the successes that we had you know you know translated into what I was to do later on in life and then I went off and you know when you're when you go through these startups and you, you know some fail some some are successful some are moderately successful but it really does take a lot out of you right so uh, because you know you don't know where it's going to head there's some real dog days nobody knows about you you're constantly selling so we all hear about the success stories at the end, but the so were you one of like a an early founder of these companies, or were you like an early employee? Early employees, yeah. In in all of these, yeah. Uh, and so um, I was, you know, I would say f- the first real batch of people being hired in, and you know, starting to build things, you know. Yeah. Um, but so it was good to be in that situation. 
um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. And then I, I went off traveling and then ended up joining another startup. Okay. And uh, called DataWire, which uh, was a very interesting experience for me. I was, uh, uh, you know, there were four founders who had started the company, had raised a lot of money. And then... Um, what were they, where were they up to? They were had built this technology that was going to, you know, take real-time transactions mm-hmm. and move it all over the internet in a secure fashion. Financial transactions. Well, they didn't know exactly what they were going to move. Okay. But they were moving it over the internet securely. So the company decided to go into the financial transaction business. It was a payment business. You know, if you think about it, uh, data lines were used for payment transactions at that time. Imagine trying to sell somebody the idea of the internet being used as a pipe to move transactions over. Very scary. Very scary. You know, can't believe we, we tried to do that and tried to convince the banks that, look, we're going to bring you transactions over the internet. And believe me, we'll do it securely and we'll do it confidently that every transaction will get to you. Um, it's cheaper. The network's already there. All we're doing is we're securing it. Wow. And I still remember when we did our first transaction. We were a service provider. Uh, I was in a liquor store in New Jersey testing out our customer. And really, what we, you know, when you take a point of sale at a, at a retail store or at a, at a restaurant or a liquor store or any other store, mm-hmm. that transaction from that point of sale is going over some sort of an infrastructure that is going and saying, look, this card has been swiped. Can you authorize it? And it'll come back and give you either yes or no. And if, I don't know if you remember those days when you'd swipe a card, you'd hear all these long beeps. Yes. And then yes. It, it, it would take 30 seconds, and then you'd get back an answer. Well, so when we were doing it over the Internet, we were saying, well, you know, it's going to be really fast. Today, you know, you see that speed, right? And it, it was that promise that we were selling at that time. Wow. So when that first transaction happened, uh, that was the start for us. And that company ended up, uh, you know, selling, being sold to First Data Corporation, one of our first customers. Okay. And uh, it was a great transaction. Uh, but, you know, if you now think about it, you know, more than likely... When you're doing a transaction anywhere here in Canada or the North America, you're more than likely utilizing one of theirs. Eighty percent or ninety percent being on on that network. Wow! You know, you're so starting a lot of stuff. So it was very unsexy, but you know, if you think about it, the whole idea of changing um, how things work was was something that really interested me. This was changing the way we move. Financial transactions, yeah, right, over infrastructure that people thought was only going to be used to surf the web with. Yeah, right. Who would have ever thought that in the internet was coming to uh, the business? Because you know we were at that time saying you know people are doing it at home. They're surfing the web. They're dialing up and they're doing this and they're doing that. Why would I want the internet to be at the business? Do we want to surf the web there? No. Yeah. And so that was the biggest, I guess, breakthrough for us where we were betting on something that we thought is going to happen. And it did happen. And now the Internet is ubiquitous. I mean, first of 
first of all, started off in the military. Then it became mainstream, and people thought, hmm, it's of course it's unregulated, and it's it's sort of uh, the Wild West. Mm-hmm. But really, people have used it to good as well. Yeah, a lot of things have been have been done. Right. So, so it's a long-winded way of saying that you know I became an entrepreneur because I I was in all these entrepreneurial activities. Yeah. In three startups that, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have a job description. You don't have, well, you're going to be uh, a manager of this or a director of that or or you have to do multiple things. Mm-hmm. You have to raise your your hand for everything that you think you can do. You know, you have to roll up your sleeves and make coffee. Yeah. Right? And um, so I guess it was in my blood and I enjoyed doing it. And, you know, people make it like the analogy is take a big fire hose put it in your mouth and turn on the water and then you start drinking from the fire hose. Yeah. You know, that's how it feels. And try to drink as much as you can. As you can, right? So, so yeah, I mean, so that's that's where it, uh, you know, kind of started and ended. I mean, when I say ended, I mean, that's in 85. Uh, We're in the 90s 90, now. Uh, 2005, sorry. Yeah. You know, it... Uh, you and know. these are capital intensive startups, right? Absolutely. These These aren't you we're we're building a website these no, are these are real products yeah. real infrastructure when we were raising uh tens of millions of dollars for our for our you know investors from our investors and yeah. and trying to provide value and uh in in the cases of three startups that I did two out of the three obviously uh, absolutely brought shareholder value in the transactions that we that we made right so um, I'd like to think that everybody was happy, and uh, you know it was it was a good time. And so you you leave DataWire, right? Or sorry, First Data Corporation, yeah, formerly DataWire. Yeah. What happened? What's what, what happens next? You join another big telco? Or? No. So I go off and try to relax for a bit and figure okay. out what what's the next thing because you know I didn't want to jump into another startup. It had been really tough. Yeah. And so we were... Like it's go, go, go. All the time, right? Yeah. And I'd been doing it for, for many years until that point. So I decided to take it easy. I had the luxury of time at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter was just born. She was, you know, very, very young baby. And so I wanted to spend some time. And we were growing family. So I was kicking around. I was uh, meeting people, you know. But uh, at that time, you know, the... Uh, the uh, what we call the venture market was 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 sort of dying. There's not a lot of companies raising a lot of money and not a lot of startups at that level. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were some good ones around that time, you know, that had uh, exited. You know, we exited, and then you know, Workbrain and a few others came about and and did that. But there was there was not the the uh, the flow that we have today at that time. Interesting. And so. I decided to just figure out what my next move was going to be. And I decided I wanted to try something that I had no idea about. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what that was going to be. Okay. (laughs) You know, and uh, so in my, through my network, I got introduced to the healthcare industry just out of, um, you know, out of chance. Yeah. Um, And now I call it serendipity. But, uh, you know, I had to go and give some advice to to some uh, CIO and a few other people 
in the healthcare industry and one thing led to another and I got an opportunity to do more consulting. And as I was consulting, I realized that healthcare was a really underserved uh, market in terms of innovation or you know best practices or or just good uh, you know um, you know good solutions out there that were uh, that were effective and cost effective and and pro- provided value. So I spent a lot of time creating relationships there, and uh, and through those relationships, sat down with some very um, um, you know. I was important people in in the healthcare industry here in Ontario had some big ideas, mm-hmm. and um, you know started to help them bring some of those ideas to fruition. And I never really envisioned that we were going to do anything of mass, uh, critical mass, uh, at, at that point. But it was it was an evolving time because I was learning more about the industry. And I was bringing some of my experiences from my startups into this industry. And even though the healthcare industry is very mature, yeah, but technology in there was very, very mature. So they had all these large monolithic systems, but there was no, I would say, nimbleness in how you did technology or build solutions. It was very, very long-winded projects like in my aerospace days. Yeah. So being naive, I suggested, look, you know, I put my hand up. and I said, we can do something for you guys that, you know, uh, for at a third of the cost and, and really provide value. And one thing led to another, and we got into this business of, of data that they've always had. And we said, well, you know what? First of all, you don't even know where it is. You want to analyze data, but you, don't, you can't even get your hands on it. So we cre- we partnered uh, with uh, with uh, healthcare providers who took a chance on us. We built out a team, and uh, the business we're in now is collecting clinical and financial data on behalf of these uh, customers, that were hospitals, and delivering back curated data for analytics uh, back to these organization in a private uh, software as a service model. Mm-hmm. And uh, so again, you know, not a startup, but really brought something to the market from scratch and built it to to commercialize within Ontario or within yeah. the number of hospitals that are in Ontario using it. And really, whether it grows bigger or not, I think what we've proven is that, you know, anywhere you can go in and do s- good technology and good solutions, you're going to find value you're going to be able to provide value. So what sort of tangible value are you providing to th- to these hospitals? Right. So first of all, you know, I mean everybody talks about healthcare analytics and everybody talks about data. A lot of the the big funding that's happening here in Ontario um is is based on uh, evidence that has to come out of data, and for the longest time, um, healthcare organizations struggled with how to provide, you know, tangible evidence back to the ministries to be able to get funding, and there was no real, um, you know, standard standardized ways of doing that. Now, with with the ability with through the solution that that we're providing, you know. 
they were able to collect data in in a standardized way, something that they couldn't do. They had to chase it. It was in different places. We're able to bring it together in one place. We can clean it up. We can package it up. Now, all they have to do then is do what they should really be doing is analytics. Hmm. So 50% of the chase that you know, it took six months and an army of people to get this data is being done mm-hmm. through a technology solution. Interesting. And now that technology solution is also providing automated analytics to reports that normally they would have had to chase down as well. So the value is efficiency. Okay. Uh, and second value, and it's evolving, is data quality. I mean, you know, quality of data in these systems has been very questionable. At times, it's not very standardized. So a system like this starts to look at data and say, well, you know, our system says this, and your reports say this. There's obviously some issue with data quality. Ah, okay. So that's a value, too. And to the ministries, they're getting more timely, uh, you know, you know, timely communication with with their healthcare agencies. It's like you know, before the system, it was like driving a car, looking at the rear view mirror all the time, mm. right? So we're slowly taking this next step where we can look ahead. I mean, we're still, you know, we're not there where we can do predictive analytics, but you know, the solution now has a critical mass of data that you can really do good good analytics with without too much trouble. Yeah, and without too much chasing of the data. So when we talk about value, we're talking about a system that would have cost a lot of money to build in a long time if it had been done in what I call the traditional way. And uh, I, 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 it's kind of controversial if I were to say anything more this way. But you know, as a taxpayer, we we always want to. We always talk about healthcare systems and how healthcare systems are built and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And um, so when we, we're always trying to find efficiencies on how we build this system. So I think there's there's some you know intelligent people out there uh, who are not from the healthcare uh, you know sure uh, practices who can really bring best practices. And I'm not just saying it's us, but I'm saying that there's we should learn. The lessons that we have from the rest of the industry, sure, technologies applied and bring it to healthcare. Absolutely, um, we've been talking for an hour. Have we? Yes. Seriously? <laughs> wow. Which is great. Um, but you're, you're and, and I don't want to end this like just like that. But you're doing some some stuff with a lot of. Um, so, most of your time, I'm assuming, is, is spent within that healthcare space, um, you know, working and, 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 and trying to um, help bring this data to life uh, and to the surface and help hospitals and the whole system itself become more efficient yeah. uh, and effective. Yeah. Um, what else, what other sort of companies are you working with? What other sort of interesting things or are you? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, after I'm, I'm, I'm involved in, in with other startups as well um, as a as an advisor, as a mm-hmm. mentor, uh, as an investor, uh, all of the above. So taking some of the lessons learned I've had in, with my experiences to the startups that I did and uh, bringing it, uh, like we say, bring some gray hair to, to some of these companies. So some of the companies I'm working with, uh, I'm just an arm's length investor. Mm-hmm. And some of them I'm actively involved, uh, mentoring, yeah. advising. 
uh, fundraising, if you will. What's one of the companies that you would say you're an arm's length investor in that that you are really excited about? Well, um, that's a that's a that's a good combination. I mean, you know, I'm uh, an arm's length um, investor in a company called Isle Labs. Isle Labs. Isle Labs, uh, like a, a you know aisle in a okay in a in a store. Isle Labs. They're doing some fantastic work out there mm-hmm. in uh, customer intelligence. And, okay. Um, and I'm uh, I've invested in, with them, and uh, they're. Um, they're repeat entrepreneurs, successful ent- entrepreneurs. Their they their earlier success was called Sysmos, and so they are now uh, doing our labs. I'm very excited about them. They're, they're based out east, I guess. Here, no, in Toronto. Oh, in Toronto, okay, yeah. cool, cool. And so, yeah, um, there are other companies that I've uh, made investments in. Um, but uh, what's one? What's a, what's some you you talk about? You you advise some companies as well. You're a little yeah. bit more active. What's one of them that you're outside about? intelligence is is a company that I've uh, you know done a lot of work with, and they're uh, they're really taking off and uh, doing some fantastic work in uh, in the risk business, uh, specifically in the financial services, so insurance and all uh, all other types of financial services, really around creating risk profiles. You know, there's a lot of regulation around, you know, financial institutions carrying risk. Uh, you have to know your customer, who you're taking on risk, you know, hedge fund organization, other organization who who do these transactions have to know their customers. Outside intelligence uh, is making a huge headway mm-hmm. on, you know, using deep learning uh, and data uh, from unstructured sources and providing... Uh, alternative lens to what we call know your customer KYC yes where they're able to bring massive amount of data and create risk profiles hmm. for clients you know I'll give you an example if a bank was acquiring another bank you know when the transaction happens one of the things that the bank has to do is figure out how much risk uh, is associated with the, with their client base sure that's a that's a huge proposition and a company like outside intelligence can run risk profiles on their hundreds of thousands of customers. Interesting. And be able to provide alerts around that. Mm. Um, so it's 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 really um, you know they're they're having a breakthrough year. They're they're signing on some really good customers like Barclays and um, Goldman Sachs. Wow. Who are you know are really thrilled about the type of um, you know risk profiles these guys are coming up with. That's so outstanding. I'm, I'm very bullish on them, and so I've been an you know early investor, but I'm an advisor. Done some interim, uh, you know, provided some interim uh, special work mm-hmm. uh, in areas that they needed, and um, I'm just rooting for them. Yeah, nice. It sounds. Like I was going to ask you what do you look for in a startup, you know, but just based on IO Labs and outside intelligence, it sounds like data is is sort of the. Um, the the Com- commonality, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I have some. Um, I mean, look, the next. I think the next revolution is all about data. We all talk about it. We talk about it in different senses. But I mean, you know, I've also invested in companies that are uh, in 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 the mobile space and so on and so forth. But what I look for in the in a startup is really the entrepreneur, because you know, they are key. To the success of of uh, of of the project they're in, yeah, and yeah, I mean they have to have a a good idea, but you know you have to be able to look them in the eye and say, is this the person 
who's going to be able to say we're failing and we need to pivot or I'm going to take this company on my back and we're going to we're going to take it to the next level. Hmm. So in a in a startup you never know about things that you can't control like the market or other other factors. So you really need to then hone into what you think you can control and it's your instincts about the entrepreneur. Interesting. And so that's that's it. that's key key for me. Um, knowing do they have um, you know what it takes and you sometimes you don't know so working with them yeah and working closely with them also provides you with that uh, you know with that view when you're investing are you investing with the purpose of one day having some sort of an exit or do you invest because you you see that if this thing wins it's going to be beneficial well I mean we all want to Win in different ways. Yeah, you know, I uh, I am happy to say, I'm, I'm I'm very fortunate that I've had successes in my life, um, and so you know I want to, I still want to have more successes, and you know, so yeah, we 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 invest from a from a pure investment perspective. We would like a good return. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we have our own portfolios that we 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 want some rates of return, but more importantly, I think. When when I'm investing, um, I'm I want the success not just from a from a from a financial perspective to to drive this, but really the the solution or the or, or the product that's that's really being you know commercialized making a difference. Yeah, you know, and so so there's you know you know two different ways to do this. Some some of you know some of my much later work where I'm now getting into more venture capital and uh, formalizing some, a lot of my angel investments, you know, we tend to trend towards, you know, exits yeah, and, and so on and so forth. But that's not a bad thing either because, you know, you're still looking at all the sort of uh, parameters that I talked about earlier. Yeah. The killer idea, the killer entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and, and being there at the right place at the right time, the killer team, you know. So... I don't know if I answered your question, but no, I'm just curious, you know, yeah. you know, sort of which, you know, because it's, you know, I don't know where, you know, your focus is or, you know, what you're sort of you consider your nine to five and then what you consider your five to nine and and all these sorts of things. So, you know, there's a lot of people that seen this and this is what I do to make my bread and butter. Yeah. And this is what I do to see if anything, you know, great could happen. Like, you know, I sometimes, you know, I use the example of Jay Leno. Yeah. Right. So Jay Leno, uh, host of the Tonight Show for twenty some odd plus years, in combination, um, also stand up comedian, and the story is is that he financed his 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 life, his house, his food, and all this sort of stuff through his stand up comedian gigs, and everything from the Tonight Show never spent any of it, or maybe invested in all this you know hundreds of cars that he has. Um, you know, so there's sort of, you know, two different ways of of doing things, right? Right. Some people right. would say, "Man, I take all of that and have a bigger lifestyle or whatever it is," right? So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe for him, his idea of success of the Tonight Show was ratings, mm-hmm. not necessarily the income he got from it, right. or whatever the case may be. So right. that's why I was very curious about, yeah. you know, you spend a lot of your energy in in the health space, right? Uh, that you know, are these other things sort of. If they win, great. Money is not bad, but I'm I'm really looking to I don't know make a difference. I you know I'm just curious. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, 
like I said earlier on when I was uh, started investing, yeah. I wanted to really see you know a difference made. Yeah. You know, so that was my you know my thesis that you know I wanted to get into something that was just going to change the world. Yeah. And there were a lot more smarter people out there. Sure. More nimble, younger, faster. Um, so I wanted to bring my wisdom yeah into into play. So that was really key and when I started the the, the healthcare business and you know that was also I wanted to change the you know change the way things are being done. Yeah. So so in both areas I, I really you know I think success uh sometimes comes in different different ways. Yeah. And if you're just doing it for the money I feel then then you're then you should be purely into uh, you know looking in the stock market and being sitting in front of uh, uh, technicals and so on and so forth so sometimes I, I, you know and it's, this may sound corny or cheesy but uh, you know if you and I tell this to the, the entrepreneurs that the money will come yeah right but there's just all these other things that you need to do mm-hmm. uh, that will eventually imply you know, a success. So, for me, I, I just feel that I've I, I'm so fortunate to be around so many uh, successful people, smart people, people who are just as hungry. And even though they are so successful and they they wouldn't have to work again, yeah. still are trying to make it happen. Yeah. And so, because if I wasn't doing this, then um, I don't know. I'd I'd go crazy. Interesting. Let's finish off with a couple of questions I have. Okay. Um, not any, not including any one or any company that you've invested in. So mm. let's put that aside. Who's your favorite? Or let me ask you this one first. What's your favorite startup? My favorite startup. Yeah. That I was involved in. No. That you're not involved in. Oh, that I'm not involved in. Yeah. Or what's what's one company you wish you had a chance to invest in? Let me put it that way. <laughs> and don't say Facebook or Twitter or Google or Amazon. Well, because... Or is, there, is there like anyone small? Okay, because my second question is going to be, who's your favorite entrepreneur outside yeah. of uh, people that you're working with? Yeah. Right? But I'm curious, is there a is there a startup or is there an early business that just went public? Um, but, you know, one of these sort of young companies that... Shopify. You, yeah? Why is that? Well, I I think you know when when you th- when you think about it, uh, these guys you know started off as uh, selling um, snowboards, right? Uh, online, that's and they they wanted to find a way to have a e-commerce presence mm-hmm. online and look and where it started and where it ended. But I think it was more about you know the 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 culture that they created and and how they grew. And yeah, now I mean, when you think about Shopify, it's 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 in the same breath as all bigger companies like BlackBerry and so on. But when Shopify started, yeah, and where they were going, and and the team that they had around them, um, you know, and from my circle, I know that they've created a culture that really, uh, you know, was really outst- uh, outstanding. Nice, you know, so. Yeah, uh, they would have been a, a fantastic uh, place to work. I think they would have. I don't know how it is now, but I'm sure yeah. it's it's uh, it's it's great. But you know, I think startups 
you know, have not only do they have a brand, but they create a culture, and the mm -hmm. culture defines their existence later on. And so, some of the things that they do, you know, have been impressive. Right. Mm -hmm. um, Who's your favorite uh, entrepreneur that I uh, do not work with? <laughs> that I've never worked with? Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, so you know, the list is. I can't pick one, right? Can I pick one? Should you pick one? Pick up more than one. Yeah, but, you, but nobody knows him yet. Okay, so tell me about this. But um, girl or guy? Well, but I mean, I, I'm involved with him. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Okay, Dan Adamson at uh, Outside IQ. I mean, this guy has got to be one of the smartest people I know. Yeah. Uh, um, and Does he give you like extra points for no, saying his name? Well, but no, he, he, but he's he's struggled and he's been struggling, and uh, you know he's pivoted about three times and continues to carry on, and so I like his resilience. I mm -hmm. like the fact that he's uh, he's like a bull terrier. Yeah, and uh, you know he's had so many ups and downs, and so and the reason why I pick him is because he's he's such an underdog. Yeah, and. Uh, and I'm sure he's going to be successful. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I have so many more things to ask you about. Um, everything from, you know, I know you've got, you said you've got kids, and I know that I think it's your daughter. You're, you're sort of, um, I don't want to say pulling or pushing, but, you know, I, I see some stuff that you share. Yeah. And, you know, girls learning code and yeah. a lot of different things. And I remember um, bumping into you at the Ontario Science Center when I bought my son to a, you know, a, a day, you know, just playing around with technology and tools and, yeah. and different things like that. So I know you're you're very involved with your kids. I'd love to talk more about that. Um, but thanks for for for. And well, you know what? Let's talk a little bit about that. Is okay. that okay? Sure, no yeah? problem, man. Um, is is that important to you? What what you do with your kids, or are you are you the parent that you're, you're sort of hoping that they go that way, or is it sort of you know like hey, whatever sport you want to play, I'm going to help you. Um, you know, is this sort of that thing for yeah, you? Yeah. So you know, I mean, look, you know, for me, I'm so hard on myself about yeah. being a parent because you know, there's no uh, cookbook no. on being a parent. I mean, there's tons of books, right? But there's no magic formula. No, there isn't. Right. So um, I don't know what all the right things are, but you know, I'm just blessed that. If we can expose our kids to things yeah. and stuff, that they'll find the love of something. Yeah. And there's no other joy in this world when you can find something yeah. and love it so much. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Interesting. Uh, that how much money you're going to make out of it. Yeah. But the, the, the happiness. The passion. The yeah. passion yeah. is going to surpass the kind of wealth that you would imagine sure. you'd make. And so so by the virtue of you know exposing my kids, I'm hoping and it's yeah. like, you know, throwing stuff on the wall and seeing yeah. what, what sticks. You know I can you know, I expose my kids to the things I love. Yeah. But then I also expose to the things that I've never been exposed to. Mm -hmm. You know? And so I think you asked me two questions. Yeah. Is it, is it pushing? Yeah, I do push because sometimes kids need to, to be pushed in certain directions. Yeah. But I push because I say, try it. Yeah. Right? 
you don't have to love it. Yeah. If you love it, that's great. Yeah. Uh, if you don't love it, let's find out really soon. You yeah. know, it's like fail and fail quickly. Yes. But uh, kids sometimes uh, are, you know, interesting because sometimes they want to please you. So you've got to be able to find whether are they doing this just to please you yeah. or that they really love it, mm. right? With the things that we're doing with my older daughter around exposing her to technology uh, and, uh, and things around technology, our kids today are consumers of technology. Mm. There, you know, there's so much consumption of technology that our kids uh, have that they forget that there's a lot of hard work that goes behind creating this technology. So I push them in that direction because I want them to know that we want to demystify the idea of technology. Yeah. There's code that gets written that when you see a website. Yes. You know, there's code that's written when you when you play a game. Or there's there's a lot of lines of code that runs a smartphone. Or True. there's you know, or when you want to make something move. So I think it's just uh it's like when my father used to open the the hood of the car and say, you know, there are these parts in the car that make the car work. True. Right? And so really all I'm doing is opening the hood and pointing out things. If I lose them and they their eyes gloss over, hey, it's okay. We won't do it again. But if they say, Dad, I really enjoyed that. Can I can we do that again? Mm-hmm. Then let's do it. My love for sports is one thing that has kept me sane. You know, yeah. I come from Africa. All I knew was soccer. Yeah. After living in Toronto and living in Canada, I love hockey. I love. Ba- we talked about baseball. Yeah. I love basketball and things that I would have never ever been exposed to. Yeah. So the idea of being exposed to things is important. Created love and mm. created passion, and out of that passion comes like-minded people. Out of the like-minded people comes a bit bigger purpose. Yeah. So. That's 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 really where where I'm going with this awesome. more than anything else. I don't have a short list of things that I want them to to be because that's what my dad had. Yeah. Um, but I but I I also want them to have focus. Mm-hmm. And when they get focused on something and they love it, yeah. Even if it's uh, building chairs or making chairs, I want them to be the best chair builders mm-hmm. uh, that's ever lived. Awesome. Thanks so much. Hey, man, it's my pleasure. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, I don't know how I how I hope this sound. Was this good, though? This was great. Man, okay. I loved it. I loved it, you know? So I hope it was good for you. It was great. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks All for right. coming in. No problem, man. That's our show. We'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.